Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of dream chasers and wealth makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. And today I have a very special guest, David Rutherford. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bart. I, you know, uh, when John reached out and said, uh, "My God, there's another guy who wants to have you on the show," I was super fired up. And then when I went to your your website and started listening to some of the shows, I was like, "God, this guy is the real deal right now, man." <laughs> so I, I, you know, it's 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 not often that my I get uh, my nerves flip a little bit, but coming on your show, I. I, I I want to make sure I, I perform at my best. So I, I'm so uh, honored that you'd want to have me on your show, Bart. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. And just to be fully transparent, uh, the feeling is mutual. I got a little bit, a uh, little bit flustered too with your uh, background. So uh, we're equally matched here. Um, awesome, awesome. And I think the best intro is is I'm just going to read your bio. I don't often read, but it's just so good. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll we'll get into the show. Roger so, that. David is an internationally known motivational speaker, best-selling author, world championship performance coach, and award-winning podcast coach host. David spent eight years in the Naval Special Warfare community. He was a SEAL operator, combat paramedic, and instructor during his time in the teens. Since his honorable discharge as a Navy SEAL, he continued to hone his skill sets as an international training and curriculum specialist for Blackwater. David was eventually recruited by the CIA, where he served as a training and security specialist, deploying many times overseas in high-threat environments. Since his departure from serving our nation in the highest manner, David has gone on to become one of the most sought-after motivational speakers in the country, averaging over 50 events a year. He has written several books for kids and adults. In recent years, David has experienced his behavioral training and performance coaching to individuals and teams which include the collegiate 2018 World Series champion, Oregon State Beavers, and most notably the 2018 World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. He is also an award-winning podcast host and has reached over 50 million people around the world with his frog logic message. That is an intro. <laughs> That's why I was intimidated. <laughs> and, awesome. and thank you. And uh, uh, again, in transparency, I think if I was ever to live my life over, it would have gone down the path of like CIA special agent. That's what really. <laughs> you know, I, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. But, but I'm here to tell you, it's not as glamorous as you think. I, I'll tell you that for sure. I'm quite certain about that. But uh, uh, it dramatizes well on <laughs> TV. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They, they always make it look super sexy on TV. What they don't tell you about is is sleeping in the dirt for five days or they don't tell you about uh, they don't tell you about the fact that, uh, you know, every single meeting that you're involved in is a meeting you can get blown up or killed. And, you know, that 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 that's kind of the, the nitty gritty of it. I mean, it uh, always I mean, I'll even tell you when when I first, you know, left college to pursue special operations, man, I, I had this completely different idea of what it was, right? You know, back then there weren't a million movies, a million podcasts, a million stuff about it. So, you know, my frame of reference was Rogue Warrior by Dick Marcinko and a couple of Vietnam books, you know, and and the, and the Charlie Sheen movie. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> they make everything look so cool and 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 they don't tell you about the the freezing cold water and the the, right. the, the endless joint pain and then you know the unfortunate uh long-term effects of of operator syndrome and yeah and and, yeah. and what the just the exposure to it can do yeah, so. well what what made me most concerned is and i um i don't know if you've ever met him but david goggins uh oh yeah i mean we marcus and david you know, I was on a big podcast with Marcus Luttrell called the Team Never Quit Podcast. And it was this great show where we interviewed people from all walks of life. And they came on and they told their greatest never quit story. And so Marcus and David were very close friends. In fact, you know, David's whole journey began uh, with Marcus and his experience during Red Wings and being that down man and and by himself and running from the Taliban and being protected in that village. And and so that's what inspired David to change his life and pursue um, how, what's the easiest way to describe David's quest is to uh, um, seek out his transcendental formation through the accepting, <laughs> the willing acceptance of pain, right? And, and, and so when we first started one of, in the first six months, um, you know, within six months, Apple tunes, iTunes podcast had rated us top podcast in 2016. And, one of those big episodes was David. And that's where kind of we coined the term Goggins, Goggins. And, and we had him on subs three more times subsequently, one more time prior to the Joe Rogan blowout. And then one after the Joe Rogan, when his book came out and it was, he's a remarkable human being. A lot of people in our community don't understand David, but, but, you know, I've had the incredible fortune of being around him, uh, you know, interviewing him and then, you know, reading his book, you, you really understand um, you begin to understand this, this quest, right? This quest for enlightenment, uh, through his pain, right? Almost to alleviate the pain he suffered as a child from his father through the, the willingness of acceptance of his own pain and really just amazing guy. Yeah. I love Goggins. Yeah. His book is amazing. And I, and I, I follow him now on social media and, and I mean, his, his passion and his discipline are beyond, you know, anyone that I think I've ever I've come across. So he, he's an animal. He's a, and what's interesting when you begin to really look at that high level elite performance, you know, really people that uh, break through the, the, the typical constraints of performance thresholds, right? Th those are the operators. Those are the athletes. Those are the, the men such as yourself within your specific fields who, who become obsessed and you become obsessed with being the best. And that obsession, although, for most people, it has a uh, a negative undertone to it. Uh, for you know, people like you and I who evaluate the pursuit of perfection in its in its entirety, and not just in its the singularity of 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 your own personal limitations and those interpretations, right? But when you really dig in, and what is driving a human being to just do the things that they're doing, it becomes comes a, a just a staggering way to awaken uh, the the potentiality within within yourself and within yeah. the human speed within the human condition itself and who in the world would imagine doing 24 hours straight of pull-ups your hands are raw that is just bananas. david it was funny when i was doing the research to interview him we i, I went out and and i found a this one thing that he had mentioned and, and it was, the, they're called the marathon monks and they were, it was a Japanese monastery where your objective was to run a thousand miles in a year. 
And they had to do that for 10 consecutive years. And, and if they wouldn't hit it, there's stories of, of these monks committing Harry carry on their journey, right. Of, 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 you know, you know, disemboweling themselves, bowing themselves because they didn't hit the quest of what that feels like. And that was a profound inspiration to David, you know, and, and, and as well as Marcus's story, why didn't Marcus quit and under that duress, but it really speaks volume, I believe as to, you know, when people are locked within these transformative traumatic circumstances, um, how they get out of them. And, and each person is so beautifully unique. That's why, you know, I don't know if you're follow on, on Instagram, there's this wonderful person out there called the humans of New York. And, mm. and they have these just beautiful stories about regular people and their ability to overcome these extenuating circumstances. And that's to put it mildly in many cases. And, and yeah. so you, you begin to, as a person that, you know, doing what I do for a living now to really try and understand, you know, what about us enables us to drive on. Right. Right. And I always say people like, well, what is frog logic and what do you try and do for people? And, and now I kind of describe it like this. I try and help people restructure their perception of pain. And, and, and that's in it a result of knowing guys like David and, and, and doing the right. never quit podcast and doing all, you know, and exposing yeah. my own, my own life to the SEAL teams, to the CIA, to Blackwater and, you know, to do performance coaching, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty crazy thing when you begin to, you know, everybody wants to take a step back and, and watch and evaluate and say, God, those people are crazy. But if you actually do the due diligence and try and ask yourself, why are they doing it? man, that's where the great lessons of life begin to appear. Okay. And is that, is that how you dive down into the, the kind of the reevaluation of pain? Is that that logic? Yes. Right there? Okay. Yes. Well, it really started for me. I mean, you know, I, I didn't understand pain. I grew up in Bogartone, Florida. My father was an attorney. You know, I went to prep schools and, and, you know, silver spoon in my mouth since day one and that didn't have a care in the world, didn't have a pain in the world other than, you know, maybe two a days in football practice in August. Right. That was my greatest yeah. pain I felt. And, uh, and then, you know, going to college and, and having my dream of wanting to play, you know, top level uh, football collapse and not being prepared to handle what that felt like. I quickly realized that I was ill-equipped. I didn't understand pain in, in, and it was in the derivative of fear itself. Right. I, I didn't understand why I was so afraid to fail, why I was so afraid of, of the unknown, why I was so afraid of my future. And, and it luckily I, in that time, I, I really opened up my, my cognition and began to seek out some answers and, and, you know, and when you read Descartes for the first time and, and you actually try and, you know, sit down and understand why a dude would go, you know, into the woods for, you know, 10 years to try and figure stuff out, you're like, God, that sounds horrible. And, but then you, you realize the process it takes to come to some form of understanding of this thing we call the human condition, man, you have to dive deep into those things which life are imbued with and 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 unequivocally there is no nobody that will you know ever sit down and in a rational logical discussion with anybody say that pain and suffering aren't a 
massive component of, of our experience. And so with that, I, you know, you start to read the, the, the amazing stories, the positive stories, the Victor Frankl stories, right. Where, you know, a guy survives Auschwitz and Dachau and, and, and the concentration camps, or you read Alexander Schultzenitsa's uh, the Gulag archipelagos, and you realize how you survive the gulags of, of Stalinist Russia. And you really see a whole different con context applied over your interpretation of life. And that is the ability to restructure pain in a way that becomes inspiring. And that's what I think Goggins has figured out how to do for himself. And I think that's what the real context for the rest of the challenge for the rest of us. I mean, hell, look at what we just came through over the last two years, this yeah. existential shift in our perception of reality in pain, just nonstop pain. I mean, I mean, just the, the fact that I don't have to get on an airplane anymore and put a mask on my face, even yeah. though it's a small pain comparative to what I've gone through, it's elation at the highest level. And now for the next 10 years of my life where I'm traveling, I'll always look back at, well, at least I don't have a mask on my face, right? So, yeah. so it's all about that perception of it. Right, right. You know, I, I can't even imagine the pressure that you must have experienced in, in your your past careers. Um, what would you say is your number one tip for staying calm under pressure in any environment? Oh, wow. I'm biologically, cognitively, emotionally, which one do you want? Oh, oh <laughs> let's hit them all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Biologically, it, it's a pretty simple thing. Uh, uh, pressure or stress or whatever word you want to use that uh, elicits a different physiological response. We call it a uh, a limbic response, right? That's because primarily what's happening is you're you're confronted with a, a significant challenge. You perceive that challenge to be a threat of some kind, uh, and immediately deep within the core uh, root of your your gray matter, there you got these two beautiful things called the amygdalas. They trigger, you know, your pulse rate spikes. Uh, all the blood dumps to your major muscle groups. It moves away from your stomach. Um, and you uh, are prepared. And the big thing that's happening, right? And the big consequence of this is, uh, you know, you are consumed with norepi, epi, adrenaline. And then the real, you know, significant one is the cortisol, the cortisol that your brain just dumps throughout uh, all your neuroconduct, your neuroplasticity, and what that effect that has. And it primes you for a response. So in our world, if that response gets over, you know, maybe, I mean, we're in real good shape when you're in. So, you know, you go start going over 140, 150 beats per minute and you start having a, a battle in your brain, uh, your prefrontal cortex and your limbic system are fighting for control over your physical reaction. And uh, most of the time, if you get too far over uh, particular beats per minute, or you haven't had a grand exposure to what we call stress inoculation, then your limbic will take control. And at that point, you, unless you get your breathing under control and slow your heart rate down, uh, you're in real trouble. So physiologically, number one thing we, we talk about is we talk about the pregnant pause, right? That, that moment right before you're going to go into a room where there's potentially a bunch of guys who want to kill you or right <laughs> you're, you're about ready to step into a batter's box for game five of the World Series, right? 
yeah. or you're about ready to do a trade that is worth a billion dollars, right? You know, that, that moment where you're like, uh, yeah, yeah. and you, so you take that pregnant pause, get that deep diaphoretic breathing going, try and pull that pulse rate down, um, and regain, uh, that focus that that place within your prefrontal cortex that allows you to think clearly deductively and, and rationally in a way that can uh, be more predictive of what your your uh, your your actions will lead to right so that's physiologically yeah. Men mentally it's about preparation i mean there's no other way to put it uh i hate i always love to uh pop uh, people's, uh, balloons of performance, if you will, because everybody wants to believe there's this, there's this magic, like Superman rise to the occasion, right? The, the fantastic mom moment where, you know, the, the car runs over the baby and you lift the car off the, the, the baby uh, and you know, yeah, and you save yeah. the day and that whole, that's not how it happens, unfortunately. And we've tested this in every possible scenario you can think of. You know, what happens when you're confronted with major stress, major challenges, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, whatever they are, you fall back on your last level of training. And so if your training regimen doesn't have you adequately prepared to handle the circumstance that you have willingly placed yourself into or right and the work, the ones that are the most difficult when they catch you by surprise, that external insurgency hitting you, you know, and you're just like, whoa. And you're like, you know, the cutoff, the road rage on, 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 uh, on, on I five out there or, yeah. or, 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 or being out in the water. You know, I remember being, uh, I know you live in Laguna and, you know, one of my favorite places to surf is right down there, uh, beneath the, the Ritz there. And oh, yeah. I remember being a kid out there with my parents and, and, uh, paddling out in the water and, you know, dropped in on a wave I shouldn't have been on and cut some local off. And he came over and grabbed my board and like took my leash and <laughs> sent it in. And he's like, get out, you know, and I'm like, oh. you know, and, and I was ill. I was untrained for that circumstance. Now I would have yeah. grabbed him and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, take him to the bottom for a little, uh, you know, a little bottom sample. But, but, uh, you know, it's training and it, it's that training that's imperative whatever you're engaged in if you're not if you haven't trained or exposed yourself to the probability of stressors that you're going to confront cognitively you will not respond in the way you hope you do um emotionally um the biggest thing that we found is really rooted in kind of the the concept of cognitive behavioral therapy uh, within psychology it's the taking the things that really elicit the greatest emotional responses, right? Those traumas, uh, those relationships, the, the betrayals you've gone through in your life and, and, and breaking those down, doing the deep dive psychologically to deconstruct on a, on a more cognitive level than emotional to be able to really understand why you react, why, what is fueled, what rage, what sadness, what depression, what anxiety, and be able to understand those in more in depth. Um, and then spiritually, obviously, you know, I mean, there's a, having just gone through Easter, there's a, a profound amount of lessons within, you know, all great religions out there. I believe for me, you know, obviously I lean on my Christianity to, 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 uh, pull myself out when I am in those dark, dark spaces. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a question of practice and without those exposures and without those understandings, man, that, that I call it the negative insurgency, it, it will it will fry your you every chance it gets and twice on Tuesdays. <laughs> um, it occurs to me, especially the mentally and the preparation, I think 
most people's first response would be like for physical, like, you know, athletes preparing and, you know, there's numerous stories about that, but I have to believe that it, preparation is also very important for, for business people, right? Oh for God. Yes. The business meeting a negotiation in a sales environment in a, whatever, if, if you're well-prepared, right? Well, I, I love how you talk about your clients, they were your friends. They were, you, you know, in some contexts, I bet you you had relationships that were family almost. And so that integration, right, that preparation, that dedication, that development of rapport and trust, that's all invested, right? That's That's time you're investing to cultivate those relationships so that when that next, you know, when 08 happens and your clients are coming to you freaking out, and you're saying, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Listen, this doesn't change anything. Let's look at the historical trends of the market. You know, things will come back. It's, you know, it, you just got to weather the storm or whatever advice you're giving, right? You're you're training them to, to deal with that because of that long-term commitment you've made, the investment you've made in those people. And and I think a lot of times business business people don't don't get that, especially after they get to a certain component. I mean, I, I laugh, man, after uh, apparently, you know, after 08, every single organization, it seems like slashed their training budgets. And, and I, and now, you know, doing what I do now and working with first trust, you know, I, I, one of the first things I do when I go into work with an advisor team is say, all right, let me look at your training profiles. What, what, what are you teaching? How are you teaching this next generation? How are you teaching this next generation that has no idea what the savings and loan crisis was like, who have no idea what 18 percent uh, interest rates look like? Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, how do you teach them to be prepared for this shift from the bull market to a bear market potentially that we're going to see? Right. How do you shift with. Uh, with, you know, consumer price index raising or the M2 number being so crazy, you know, how do you get them to deal with that or train themselves to understand the probabilities uh, that they are going to have to face at least, right? Not necessarily predictive of what the market will do or what their business will do, but how they get their people prepared to deal with it. And that's why so many people don't want to go back to the office right now, right? Because they don't want to have to go back in and relearn the difficult, the not the difficult, relearn the, the, um, the techniques that make living and working around other human beings, uh, uh, more successful, right? They don't want, they've already backed out of that. They're independent, they're isolated and, and people feel very comfortable in that isolation, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, probably a conversation for another time, but I wonder if that's ever going to come full circle and come back, but yeah. I, well, you know, it is, you know how it's going <laughs> to, once, once the analysts, once the, once the, once the, uh, those, those super freak, brilliant people at MIT or Stanford or, you know, the machine <laughs> learning folks at Stanford get out and say, Hey, let's, let's evaluate productivity, you know, yeah. and, and you see productivity and, and performance has dropped 40, 50, 60%. I mean, Look at some of the big banks out there. They're they're like, no, you're done. You're back in the office. It's over. Come in, right. because they realize that productivity has taken a. Because I don't. I mean, listen. I've known some of the most disciplined people on the planet. Literally, like 
people that were as regimented as any, they were robots, right? These warriors that all they thought about doing for the last 20 years was going to war on their own without peer influence, without, without oversight, they crumble, right? Because what is the, what is one of the, the fundamental principles behind discipline, right? Is, is structure. And, and, and what is the greatest structure that human beings are relying upon? It's the structure of, of, of collective, um, collective affiliations, right? The societal, uh, requirements that human beings need with each other. And without those, I don't care who you are, man. You can, it just, we fall off. We, we find those things to distract ourselves, right? Those comfort zone behavioral patterns seem to uh, run away from uh, us, if you will. Yeah. Um, I'm going to segue to discipline. I was going to save that for last, but since you brought it up, um, discipline is a big part of my life, both, you know, personally and physical fitness and, and also professionally and how I work and how I invest and so forth. How important has discipline been in your background, your life, and how important should it be for others and their and their growth? Well, I can tell you this: um, there is no doubt in 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 my military mind or my civilian mind that that without discipline, I have suffered imme immeasurably. Um, every single time in my life where discipline escaped me, uh, I I. Uh, um, tumbled, if you will, into uh, some very significant results. Uh, I battled depression on two separate occasions for multiple years at a time. And that's because I lost discipline, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it affects you emotionally. Um, when your life is chaotic and it's not in order, um, you know, you, you, you don't, you're not grounded. You, you're not sure what's safe and what's not. And, and the very, the very essence of our, I think the very essence of human existence um, is to try and, uh, you know, make, bring some order out of the chaos, which is life, right? The chaos of relationships, the chaos of, of, of uh, pursuing passions or, you know, being lost or, or being you know, traumatized without some structure in place it's very difficult for us to uh, embark on the, necess the necessary journeys. And, the, and, the, and these journeys I'm talking about, most importantly, are learning to embrace your fears, right? Um, to recognize that, you know, without discipline, fear will be immense. Um, so, you know, having those, the, the, the construct, the, con the abstract understanding that I need to have order uh, if I'm going to pursue any uh, substantial potentiality. Okay. I expected something like that. <laughs> now, mind you, I, I am, I was notorious as one of the least disciplined people. Now I, you know, there's a, a part of my personality is I'm an artist, right? Uh, I was an art <laughs> major in college with a minor in poetry. So, you know, don't laugh. I, <laughs> didn't see I, that am, coming. <laughs> I, I, I am an, I am a hippie who can kill you. So don't make fun of me. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, so my mind works a little bit differently. Right. It is a little more chaotic. It is a little more creative. It is a little more. That's why Chana plays such a, a pivotal role in my life to help me with some of that structure. So I know I have that limitation. Yeah. Um, so so I have to work 
twice as hard to maintain that those disciplinary attributes within my physical fitness, within my, within my, um, you know, parenting, within my relationships. And, and so I, I, I get that. And so I, I have to work extra hard. So discipline is, is regardless of whatever your personality traits are or type, um, you know, it, it plays a major, major role in, in, yeah. in how you're going to succeed or fail. All right. Thanks for that. Um, I'm going to go back to pressure. So what is the number one mistake in your opinion, people make, uh, or tend to make under extreme pressure and how can they, uh, that mistake be avoided? They react too fast. People are, are, we are, <laughs> and this is something that I fought forever. <laughs> and I really believed at one point when I was in the teams that this was something that could be, uh, uh, alleviated, if you will, we are emotional creatures, right? It's the oldest component of our brain. It's the thing that has been passed down genetically, generationally, societally. Uh, it's what all uh, the narratives that we uh, find ourselves drawn to, the mythologies of, of our existence and civilization. We are sucked into these stories. We are sucked into these relationships. And it's all a derivative of our emotional state. And so... When we get hit with that, that when, you know, it's the old saying, right? Uh, Mike Tyson, one of my favorite lines ever. Uh, everybody's got a plan until they get socked in the nose, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and as a person that's been socked in my nose quite a bit in my life, I, yeah. I can tell you, yeah, everything goes blank when you're in that moment, like, oh my God. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and so it's, when you get hit with it, Take that pregnant pause, take that breath, take a step back and evaluate the totality of the situation. We have another saying in the teams, you know, and in special operations and in the agency and a lot of different places, you know, don't run to your death. And there's a lot of things, you know, as uh, you know, when you're um, when you're when you have a, an emotional constitution where you're strong willed or even if you're weak willed for that measure, when you get hit, man, the first thing is, you know, that, that fear is triggered. You go through a whole slew of emotions and, you know, you want to react. You want to be able to one, create distance and space for whatever's attacking you, your perception of being attacked. And, and then you, you, it's, it's a quick flurry, right? And, and you look at a whole different, um, types of, of, of analysis across a bunch of different species. And, and we all have a way to, uh, react instantaneously to create a better protective, um, 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 uh, 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 create a better protective reaction for ourselves. So take a second, don't, you're going to react, but don't act. Take, take, take that pregnant pause, take that time. And if they're big and they're huge decisions and they're monstrous and they have, will have reverberating effects across you and all the people that you love and care about your, your take as much time as you can before you absolutely have to make a decision. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. How did serving in the CIA, CIA teach you to think on another level critically mm -hmm. and analytically? Oh God, Jesus. <laughs> I, I am, I, I used to imagine myself to be a smart human being in some capacity prior to uh, uh, going to work for the agency. And for my first two years, I had the incredible opportunity to work with case officers. And, and the idea was to help them better integrate with the soft units they were working with downrange. And, 
and and it was really a unique situation with how information was collected and then translated into actionable intelligence and it was a, a real fluid situation if you will and so my initial thought was I'm going to teach these really brilliant people how to act and think more like special operations guys and and you know my first experience was just comical like I, I was so I I was so um arrogant is the only appropriate word that that's what my job was that I it, I, I almost got in some big trouble in my very first uh, 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 program that I was a part of. And luckily I had a, a guy, uh, Chris Peranto, otherwise everybody knows him as Tonto. If you ever saw the movie 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, uh, Tonto was the guy who fought in his shorts and uh. um, really amazing guy, good friend of mine. And and he, on one of my first gigs, was just like, hey, come here. <laughs> and I'm like, what's up, man? He goes, you're a Navy SEAL, huh? I'm like, yep. And, then, and he's like, you were an instructor, too. And I was like, that's right, I was. And and yeah. he goes, hey, man, you need to pump the brakes. And I, saw, I was like, what do you mean? He goes, let me explain to you how they work. And he gave me this insight that was pivotal for me to be able to shift my, my focus to where for the next two years, I just wanted to know everything I could know from these brilliant, brilliant human beings. You know, when you, when your job, think about this and, and you, you can relate to this, I'm sure your job is to um, unpack, right? The intense motivations on why people um, want to do what they are going to do with their life's work. Right. And, and as you know, people look at their, their money, they look at their skill sets, their profession, they look at their, um, what they've accumulated. They, 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 they covet it, right. They hold it with, with, um, uh, incredible conviction. And so what a case officer's job is to do is to interact essentially in, in the last 20 years in war on terror, you know, to interact with our sworn ideological enemies develop rapport, potentially make it to trust, and then get those human beings to give us information that potentially is going to lead to the annihilation of people they know, <laughs> family members, people they care about, uh, groups that they've been indoctrinated into. And, and, and when you begin to see how tactically proficient people are, and I'm not saying they all are, right? Nobody is comprehensively, but the people I got exposed to, man, these were people that were, that blew me away. And, and from learning that process from them and how they assess an asset or a source or a subsource or whatever, whoever they're working, even, even work with other foreign governments or whatever, our allies, to hear how they deconstruct the human condition in order to discover what is truly driving a human's motivational um, desire, that was that was something that just totally shifted my entire approach to how I, I do what I do now. Yeah. You know, if, if I really bring it down and, and dumb that down and simplify, um, and, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth, and use them, use them appropriately, right? Listen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Oh, it was so, funny. Cause you know, I, I was, you know, I was, 
I thought I I was the man and I, you know, I, I was a joke. I, you know, I was one combat deployment in the teams, two deployments total. I, you know, I had had a, you know, a couple deployments and and at Blackwater, I, I thought I was, I was up here in terms of my knowledge, but you know, I, I was maybe up here in, in, in this teeny little sliver of information. And, and then they opened this whole world up to me on, on what, what intelligence was. I mean, both figuratively and metaphorically, right? Yeah, and, and, right. and literally as well, too. So yeah. it was it was a wonderful experience. Uh, there are so many amazing, amazing human beings that work for the agency. And, and they're out there right now as we speak, grinding, grinding, living very, very difficult lives uh, and, and trying to uh, keep America protected. Great lead into my last question. We're in... in interesting times, right? Let, let's just, you know, if I say it simply, um, do we go in World War III? Who knows? Uh, but with that said, what are your three top lessons learned on safety from your time as a CEO and CIA? And how can that be applied to anyone's daily life? Whew. Well, I, you know, to give you an idea how much it means to me, my, I have four daughters, right? And my daughters, you know, just this morning, I got to drive them to school, which I always love to do when I'm home and not on the road. And, and they have to recite these 22 missions. And every time I, and, 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 and mission number one is safety first, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, there's the, there's the, the, the obvious uh, understanding of safety across those four planes, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, for sure. But when you when you get into the the grander context of of life in in our experience, I mean, first and foremost, the the number one thing that you you have to be safe from is I think your your construct of reality, your consciousness, and and because it we're I mean if you look at what we're facing, we're in a mental health crisis the likes that we haven't seen since late 1960s and early 1970s. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we had a hundred thousand overdoses last year. It could be, could be 200. I mean, there's enough fentanyl to kill everybody in this country, you know, multiple times over and people are dropping like fives. In fact, there's a new drug that they're releasing called cis, which is a hundred times more lethal than fentanyl right now. So we're going to have people just, just dropping like fives. And, and, and you look at why are people using so many drugs right now? Why are people such, uh, you know, alcoholism is skyrocketing. Um, is because of what we're going through. And then on, so the, you know, and then you look at teenage girls, suicide has increased by 50% last year. I mean, that's devastating to me. And, and so safety first in my mind is to really figure out how to get a good grasp of what your reality is, what you can control, what you versus what you can't control. Cause what we see is there's been enough fear introduced into our society into globally uh, to, to last a lifetime. Now, always, I always take a step and pump the brakes a little bit contextually. Cause you know, all you got to do is look at Stalinist Russia, look at world war two, look at Mao's China, you know, that's the kind of fear that we can't even comprehend right now. So I always pump the brakes. Right. So safety and how you perceive reality. The other is, you know, your daily routine. That's the biggest place that you can develop safety consciousness, right? Eat right sleep uh, first and foremost sleep right if you're not sleeping you're going to be exposed greater than any other thing eating right right consuming the right things being active socialization with the right people that are not 
fundamentally negative across the board. And in many cases, it's not even on their own accord. It's just, they've had so much fear pumped down, you know, into their psychology that it's their, their, their psyche is, 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 is off canter right now. So, you know, understanding your consciousness under, you know, the, the, your daily routine. And then the biggest one is really, again, it goes back to not, um, rushing in. Um, there's a lot right now that I'm seeing because of the polarization, because of the fears, uh, the medical fears, the, the, the geopolitical fears, yeah. The, yeah, the, the business, you know, where are the markets going fears, um, is, is not to, uh, everybody's searching for some type of see I told you so moment and that's just not how how history will what history teaches us how to react to it again it's patience it's patience in establishing to go back to the beginning of what I talked to to restructure your perception of pain to realize that the suffering you're in uh, is much of it is way outside of your control so the critical thing to make you more safe learn to understand, why you're suffering, why the pain is changing, allowing you to go down those rabbit holes of, of fear and, and, and the other affiliated, um, emotions within yeah. that. So interesting. So interesting. I wish we had two more hours because I could definitely fill them, but uh, maybe that's for another day. How does that sound? Bart, I'm all yours, man. Anytime you ask me to come back on, I'll, I would be more than happy to. Oh, that would be amazing. But I think I do need to ask one last very important question. That is, what are your guilty pleasures? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, a good 14-year-old uh, uh, scotch that was made in, in rum cask, right? What is it? Balvenie 14 or whatever it is. I love that. Um, okay. I love, I love, um, I love uh, kind of avant-garde music. Um, I, I love to get into kind of that creative space within there. It drives my kids nuts, right? You know, <laughs> the kids out again. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It totally does. When I put on, you know, Richie Havens playing for four hours at Woodstock, it drives, they're like, turn it off, right? They want <laughs> they want Taylor Swift and Katy Perry all day. Um, and then I think the last kind of guilty pleasure I have is um um you know, I, at night, once our day has settled, um, I, I can kind of, uh, turn down my hypervigilance a little bit and I can just get into some really, you know, um, explorative conversations with Jana. She, she indulges my eccentricities. She indulges my questions about, you know, life and space and time and our physical reality. And, and, you know, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't thank her enough because a lot of people, they just, they're so exhausted. I mean, she's running a household. She's got four kids. She's taking care of me. She helps me in the business, right? She's got to deal with me. She's got to keep herself fit and healthy and all this stuff. And, and then she allows me to just take her down these rabbit holes of, of just, uh, you know, what are, are intense, uh, very intense questions and, and ideas in order to help me kind of continue to try and figure this whole thing out. So that's wow. my, my favorite one. Wow. That's a good one. And just to be a counter to that, um, my wife knows not to ask me any important questions after 7 PM because I'm, <laughs> my brain is as much, I have no response. Any response is not valid. <laughs> you got to know what you know, right? 
She's even training my daughter. My daughter, my six-year-old asked me something. And she goes, you know, after seven, don't ask Papa those questions. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, I'm going to tell, I'm not going to let Jada listen to the last part of this podcast because she might implement that rule and I'd be done. I'd have to go wake the kids up. <laughs> David, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great experience. Bart, uh, the, the, the pleasure is mine. I, you know, I, we, we are in challenging times. Um, and I just, you know, my mission in, in life is just to, you know, try and give a person one concept to, to explore and any one of these ideas, any one of these concepts that, you know, are, are, I'm, they're nothing new. I'm not any, you know, you know, savant of uh, intellectual savant or philosophical savant, but, but these are ideas that, that need to be put into practice and there need to be explored within all of us. And so to the fact that you want to give me that opportunity to share these with people is, is a real blessing. So thank yeah. you, sir. My pleasure. I want to thank everyone who has tuned in. We look forward to being back in the studio again next week. Cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value. Brokerage services are offered through to Sarah Capital, member FINRA.